First things first, if you're prone to feeling seasick, turn away now. Can we have our little video? and I decided uh, that we were going to have a go at making stoles once. I wasn't going to tell us, actually, but it's came to mind, and I still find it funny. Um, and, okay, so Anglican vicars have to wear all kind of vestments, and one thing they wear is, like, a long scarfy thing. And for ages, I've called it a long scarfy thing, and I've discovered it, it's called a stole. So, and apparently, they, they cost hundreds of pounds to buy. So we thought, if we can learn to make them, we could sell them on the cheap, you know, fund our studies and make sure our friends don't have to spend hundreds of pounds. And uh, so I thought we'd just make them plain, but, you know, we got confident. In fact, we got a bit cocky. We thought, no, we'll put designs on them. So I thought on mine I'd put a little dove. That's great. That's all I could handle. And on hers, she decided she was going to do um, Jesus. And I don't know if it's the calming of the storm or if it was uh, this episode um, where Jesus calls out to Peter to come out on the water. So, um on the one side of the stall, so there's one bit hanging there, one hanging there, you know, is the boat. And then on the other side, there's Jesus, like this. Obviously, it's quite complicated to do an intricate figure, so it's just a kind of stick man like that. And uh, so there we were, sewing away. It, it took us 
all day and we were just getting confused the whole time. We didn't really know what we were doing, neither of us really so. And, uh, and then at the end of hours and hours and hours spending the whole day doing that together, you finally kind of, you know, turn it all inside out and, and try it on. It was only when she tried it on that she realized that, in fact, the boat was over there and that Jesus was sort of running away this way. <laughs> so we, we invented a new Bible story, which was the, the famous story of Jesus running away from the boat. And it kind of rather defied the, the whole point of having any kind of symbolism on the stall. Anyway, completely irrelevant. I can show you pictures on Facebook later. Um, yeah, so that was kind of scary, right? And I know we've all watched loads of TV, but I, I'm a bit of a wuss. I still find things on TV scary, and I, I find that kind of scary. So, that, you know, my main reason, my main theological point for showing that video is to say that storms are scary. And um, if you want it to get any deeper than that today, then, you know, good luck. Um, but it's, it's important to remember, because I think sometimes we're a bit too quick to jump to conclusions with, um, you know, Bible stories that we've heard before. Um, and, you know, because we think, oh, what does it all mean, you know? And we, we treat it a bit like a parable, because a parable is a made-up story with a learning point. Uh, was actually, this actually happened, you know? Like, the disciples were genuinely terrified, and that was only at the storm, let alone their terror at then seeing, you know, a figure coming in the water. We are going to, you know, actually read um, the passage in a minute. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with just reflecting on YouTube videos. They're not 100% accurate. Um, so, but let me just set the scene first. So we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and I find it helpful just to think, well, what has happened sort of just before this story? What's, what's leading up to it? Uh, well, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. So he's performed a miracle which, you know, shows, uh, you know, a bit about who he is, the fact that he's not just human, multiplied all of these loaves and fishes. Um, so, you know, he's obviously saying something about his divinity, but not just about his divinity. Um, the fact that he is providing the needs of the people, he is providing their food, um, that's, you know, it blatantly harks back to an Old Testament story in the desert where God provided food. Are we, are we, do you know what I'm talking about? What am I talking about? Manna, yeah, God providing, like, manna in the desert. Um, and then Jesus comes and provides bread, again, probably um, in, a, in an empty space, in, in, a, in a desert land, um, providing for their needs. So, so there are big hints about Jesus' divinity and about who he is and the fact that he is the, the, God, the same God of the Old Testament, the same God um, of the Israelites. Rewind again what happens just before that. So just before the feeding of the 5,000, um, Jesus has just received some devastating news uh, which is that John the Baptist has just been beheaded in prison um, by King Herod. And, you know, if, if any of us have ever experienced any bereavement, um, then I'm sure you'll understand that it's a good thing to take yourself away to a place of solitude and, and have some quiet and, and have a time to pray. And that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do. So Jesus receives the devastating news, takes himself to a solitary place, and as he's taking himself to a solitary place, all these thousands and thousands of people gather around him until he has more than 5,000 people around him. Um, but, you know, the text tells us that he took compassion on the crowd. He didn't tell them to go away. Um, and that he ministered, them, uh, ministered to them. He spoke to them. Um, and, and then he fed them all. He, he provided for all their needs. However, once that's done and dusted, um, he says to the disciples, you go on ahead, I'm going to go to a solitary place and go and pray to my father which is what he was trying to do all the way along. Um, so that's basically where we join the action. So um, as we hear the passage, 
Um, keep the sounds in mind that we've just heard from the video, the crashing waves, the roaring thunder, all of that, and, and just that sense of fear. Let's just keep that in our mind. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, and um, uh, yeah, we'll start at verse 22. So, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Um, so it's quite a dramatic passage. And, you know, as my main point was earlier, uh, storms are scary. There you go. You learn all the good stuff from me. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think it's, it's good to realize that um, just, yeah, just the, the sheer terror of the, the situation that, that we're starting off in. Um, and that although it's not a parable, um, there clearly are things to learn from this story um, because Matthew has decided to include it in his gospel, obviously inspired by God. So um, the disciples are in a situation where basically they find themselves at the end of their tether and at, at the ends of their kind of like level of expertise. I mean, you know, some of these people are fishermen, Fishermen, water, you know, you, you kind of think it goes together and they should know what they're doing. Um, but they've been battling probably for hours. Um, and, you know, they, they find there's, there's nothing they can do. They're, they're kind of like losing the battle. Um, does this kind of situation remind you of a, another storm? As I mentioned earlier, the, the two storm stories, aren't, aren't there? Um, so the other storm is in chapter 8. You can either um, flick back to it now or look at it up in, in your own time. But we all know it, don't we? You know, Jesus asleep. Um, disciples absolutely freaking out going wild and jesus says you know why are you worrying you know you of, of little faith and he just tells the storm to be quiet and it says that they were all amazed um and i think what's interesting is that um in in a lot of ancient mythology kind of the, the sea and water um kind of represents sort of the underworld and chaos and it's kind of a threat and it has sort of you know, like, like connotations of evil so and, and a lot of mythologies have um, kind of like big sea monsters, sea creatures as well, and, and, and interesting things like that. So there's, there's a lot of fear um, of, of what the sea represents. So actually, Jesus being able to say to the storm, like, calm down, stop, um, is a big deal. It's not just saying, well, it is saying that he's powerful over the whole of nature, but it's not just saying that. It's saying actually he's powerful over the whole realm of evil basically, and the whole realm of chaos. And whereas um, every other kind of philosophy at the time would kind of be fearful of the sea, like Jesus shows that not only is he not fearful of it, but he has no issue just to calm it in, in one second. And um, he kind of, 
Um, so I'm talking about the chapter eight storm story at the moment. Sorry, I'm sort of jumping about. Um, yeah, so basically, he when he's calming the, the storm, he shows that he he's not really controlled by earthly things, but actually it's the other way around, that he is in control of earthly things. And it's interesting because he says to the disciples, you know, like kind of, what are you worrying about? You have little faith. And we think, well, obviously they're worrying because they're in a storm. They're all going to die. You know, it, it makes perfect sense to us. But it makes perfect sense to us because we are completely powerless to do anything about it. Whereas from Jesus' perspective, he is completely powerful over those circumstances. So obviously if you are powerful over that situation, you know, it makes sense to say, like, why would you worry? So the disciples already know that. They've already experienced this storm where they've seen Jesus' power over nature. And now we come to chapter 14 that we've just read. And it starts off with this disembodied spirit um, kind of hovering over the sea, which for me reminds me of uh, Genesis and creation and, you know, when there was nothing at the beginning and all there was was the spirit um, hovering, the spirit of God hovering over the waters, um, which again is just a picture of God's dominion, like, over nature and, and the fact that, you know, he, he is Lord. Um, and in the same way, Jesus just comes, you know, walking straight through the storm, uh, you know, as if it's not really a big deal. Um, so verse 27 says, As he approaches, Jesus sees that they are terrified and says to them, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Um, so when he, so they, obviously they're wondering who is a strange figure, and when he makes himself known, uh, the actual words that he uses is, don't be afraid, I am. So again, are, are there any, any bells ringing with I am? Where have we heard I am before? Moses. Yeah, Moses wants to, you know, Moses has been sent, um, you know, to Pharaoh, big scary situation. Um, he says, well, who should I say is sending me? You know, what's, who are you? What's your name? And, you know, and God says, I am. That's how he defines himself. Um, so I'm not exactly too sure about this one. Maybe Jesus is just saying in the storm, don't worry, it's me. Or maybe he's saying, don't worry, I am, you know. And I think quite often these little nuances are, are put in there deliberately. Um, but, you know, walking on the water in and of itself is a massive hint as to Jesus, who Jesus is. So, you know, let alone with, with, with the I am. Um, so basically, this is a passage about who Jesus is and about knowing who Jesus is and the difference it makes to us like when we know who Jesus is. Um, so Peter realizes it's Jesus and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Would Peter have done this um, sort of on, on day one of being a disciple? I, I don't really know. You know. It's not like who knows. But I think the thing is, by this point... Um, Peter, Peter, he's, I mean, he's been with Jesus. He's, he's seen a ton of miracles. He's heard Jesus speak. He's picked up on at least some of, you know, the hints that I've already mentioned this morning of Jesus showing himself to be, you know, the son of God. Um, and really, Peter's faith has been growing through, through all of those things. And Peter's an interesting chap. Um, he starts to feature a lot in Matthew's gospel. It's not that he was the only one there, because we do hear a lot about Peter. Obviously, the other disciples were there too. But um, I think Matthew uses him as a kind of like representative of the other disciples. And he starts to become um, kind of like a, a spokesman for them in, in different situations. And as I've sort of like, you know, looked through Peter in the gospel and how he features, I think not 
only as a representative um, for the disciples, but also because we are disciples, I think that we can, you know, read the bits with Peter and, and kind of put ourselves in his place. So he becomes kind of a representative for us as well. And he's a, he's a very reassuring um, representative, because actually he's the perfect example of faith all mixed up with doubt. And he's also the perfect example of someone who starts up super strong, mega strong, and then, you know, really focus on Jesus, but, you know, then, then gets thrown, in, not just in today's story, but in a whole number of circumstances, like starting, off strong, starting out strong and then just getting thrown off and, and being overwhelmed. And yet, who does Jesus say that he will build his church on? Peter. So, wow, I think, okay, that's, that's quite interesting. Because in some ways, Peter's kind of like our example of failure. You know, he's not, let's not be too, you know, like pretend he's perfect kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I think how reassuring if he is our representative that actually we can see our journey of faith and his journey of faith, which is that, you know, our faith grows through difficult situations and our own faith is, you know, surely all mixed up with elements of doubt as well. Um, I think it's good to be able to recognize that too. And also, you know, not, not be afraid and, or even be afraid to sort of share those doubts with each other. I don't think church is a place where we, we have to pretend that our faith is always strong, but surely we can kind of be an encouragement to each other when, when, our, you know, when doubts come in and when our faith is wavering. So um, Peter has faith in who Jesus is. He stepped out because he saw Jesus and he knew who he was. But he began to sink when he saw his circumstances and he remembered who he was. Obviously, Peter can't walk on water. In fact, Peter can't even save his ship from the water. It's not a good start. <laughs> if you can't even keep your ship safe, um, then how on earth are you going to keep yourself safe just out there in, in the middle of the storm? So it's because he knows who Jesus is that he steps out in faith. And it's because of his faith in who Jesus is that he's able to walk to him. And it's when he is overcome with fear and doubt that he begins to sink. But Peter cries out for help and Jesus reaches out his arm to save him. So it's easy for us to say, oh, well, Peter, you know, you shouldn't have doubted. Gutted to be you. Bit of a failure. Uh, but actually, even in his failing, like Peter is an example to us to, to what to do. Um, you know, he knows he can't do it himself. He knows he has to cry out to Jesus and, and ask for help. And also he knows he has faith that Jesus is able to save him. So, yeah, this, that little moment in the story when he's, you know, sinking and, and crying out and he's utterly useless, it made me think right back to the beginning of this um, kind of like preaching series that has been going on for a few weeks. When I think we started off looking at the Beatitudes. Was that kind of like the first one? And um, the first one of the Beatitudes always strikes me. It's, um, I think it's the first one I knew. This is from Matthew 5, by the way. Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes we talk about the Beatitudes like it's something that we want to be or that we have to achieve or reach to. But um, think about poverty. Poverty basically means not having enough, like struggling, you know, ends don't meet, like, you're not doing well. So think about poverty of spirit. Well, surely it means struggling, not doing well, not coping in your spirit, emotionally, being broken, not having enough resources, 
like spiritually, emotionally, like to go on. Um, so it's kind of a place of knowing that you just can't do life anymore on your own. And Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. heaven. Those who are at the end, the end of their tether. And Peter knows he can't, can't save himself. So I was just having to think a bit about Peter's logic um, in this scenario. Um, so, you know, perhaps this is kind of his way of thinking, you know, if it is the Lord on the water uh, and not a ghost, then there is no need to fear. Makes sense. If Jesus is Lord, then he can walk on water. If Jesus is Lord, then he can command Peter to also get out and walk on the water. So if all of those, if all of the above are true, um, then if Jesus is Lord, he can also save Peter from drowning. So being at the end of your tether may not be the worst place to be because I think for me, and I'm sure for many of us, actually it's when we're at the end of our tether that we cry out for God. And that's where we meet him and we know that, that he is close. And when, when Peter wasn't able, like Jesus reached out his arm and rescued him. So yeah, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He doesn't say no faith, because when Jesus talks to people who have no faith, he's talking about um, people who aren't believers at all. But he says little faith, because he recognizes that, that Peter is on a journey of faith, um, just like all of us are. But also, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, never mind. You know, he, he does challenge Peter, and it's uncomfortable, because we don't come to church to be challenged, really, do we? <laughs> or maybe we do, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Um, but, yeah, and as we said, if Peter represents kind of the disciples and us, then we need to be hearing that challenge as well about our own faith. And I don't know, we just, I think, you know, if we rewrote the story, we'd want Jesus to be like, oh, never mind, get you out of the water. You're all right, I'll get your towel, you know, that kind of thing. But, but actually, you know, he, he does say to him straight away, he cuts the chase and he's like, okay, this issue is about your faith, Peter. And it goes on to say, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Which means um, that when Peter stepped out in faith, it was still stormy. And it also means that when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, it was still stormy. And the storm didn't actually go away till later. I think sometimes we just, um, if we're thinking about our own lives and the fact that sometimes we feel just battered by life, you know, in the same way that the, the ship was being, you know, battered by the waves um sometimes you know if we do we are at the end of our tether and we do get, get down to pray our kind of immediate thought is just like god please take the storm away you know but he he doesn't act, jesus doesn't do that like in this situation like the storm is still there all throughout this whole passage that we've read until right at the end so when we are going through our own like sufferings and persecutions? What is it that's, that's on our mind and what is it that we're kind of obsessed by? Are we, are we thinking about the fact that we can't handle our problems, which is true and it's a good thing to realize, but is that the only thing we're thinking about? Um, or are we asking Jesus to, to take all of our storms away, just to get rid of the storm and, and be done with it? Or are we thinking about who Jesus is and about having faith in him? You see, our circumstances don't change who Jesus is. And if you're going to remember one thing from today, I think remember that. 
that our circumstances don't change who Jesus is. So we've talked already about how uh, Peter is a bit of a failure. So we'll kind of we'll fast forward a bit to a couple of examples of what's just about to happen later on in Matthew. Um, when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, you know, who do people say that I am? Um, it's Peter who comes out with the declaration and he says, you know, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I think that's chapter 16, probably. Um, you know, and Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? Like, you know, my father in heaven has revealed that to you. So it's like, wow, amazing. Good moment. Peter is the one who makes that very definite declaration. Obviously, for us now, we live the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection, and we can say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But, you know, disciples hadn't actually been through that process yet, so they were gradually, gradually, gradually getting to know who Jesus was. Uh, And it was only through a divine revelation that Peter was able to know that. But within moments, what happens? In terms of, like... Yeah, oh yeah, that, that's coming up as well. Um, yeah, shortly. So, but, um, but straight after the declaration of saying who Jesus is, um, you have Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> it's a little bit of a whew, swing, dramatic swing between the one and the other. And he tells Peter, you are being a stumbling block to my mission. So it's like, wow, you know, talk about, um, you know, getting it right and then making an epic mistake afterwards. And then afterwards, we move on to um, what Paul was just saying. Um, you know, Jesus says to all of his disciples, the going is going to get tough, and actually, you're all going to walk away from me. To which Peter replies, no, not me, Lord. They will, but even if they will, even if every single other disciple, even if everyone in the world abandons you, not me. Um, yeah, right. And then he goes on to pretend that he doesn't know Jesus and to actually, you know, say that he blatantly is not associated with Jesus in any way. He goes on to do that three times immediately. But Peter isn't just there for us to point a finger at and say, you know, kind of mock and say, well, look, you know, you, you get it right, then you get it wrong. Actually, Peter is there, as I said earlier, for us to see our, aim, our own faith journey um, reflected in his journey. Um, and his journey is full of ups and downs. So I just wanted to um, share kind of a, a short testimony, really, of how, like, some difficult situations where my faith has grown a lot. And I know I can look back to these and think, yeah, that's probably where my faith grew a lot, basically. Um, so what I've, what I've tried to look at so far is kind of three things. We've talked about knowing who Jesus is, finding him at the end of our tether, and that he is the same no matter what the circumstances are. And, you know, hopefully my sort of little testimony actually um, relates to those three things as well. So I think where I've experienced finding Jesus at the end of my tether and at the end of my area of expertise is um, praying in a number of occasions where I've been praying desperately with a friend um, who she has a foster son um, who's a, a teenager now, um, when this all kind of happened, it was more ongoing over the last couple of years, not, not so much this year, but it's still an ongoing issue. And um, basically, he's a very, very traumatized lad, and he started to go missing, basically. So he, he would um, kind of walk out, disappear um, in a huff or in whatever, or in distress, and we wouldn't know where he was. Sometimes it would get quite late. He didn't have a mobile. We, you know, we didn't know anything. And 
Yeah, basically, there, there was, it just got to a point where there, there was nothing you can do about it. Like, my friend would call me, and if I was there, this is back when I was in Southampton, then I would, I would go around and I would sit with her, and we would spend hours just sitting around her kitchen table. Um, and then, obviously, you know, after a number of hours, you, know, you, you call the police, and, and you try to file a missing person, and they say, well, how long has he been missing for? And you tell them, they tend to say, it's not long enough. And you try and explain the whole situation. You say, no, 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 no. this is a very vulnerable young person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, yeah, and then once we managed to get this lad on their kind of, like, radar on their records, they knew that when we called up, they did need to actually go out looking for him. So then they would have all their patrol cars, like, out on lookout for the whole of the town and any particular areas. They would, um, they would go and, like, man the train station to make sure, like, you know, he, hadn't, he wasn't going anywhere. All that is going on, and, and we're just, like, sitting in a kitchen. And it's one of these things where it's, like, the more you look at the situation and the circumstances around you, the more you start to sink, the more you start to plummet into despair. So the situation is, you know, we have a very vulnerable young little friend out there in the dark. He's not even big. <laughs> He's, like, tiny and skinny, cannot defend himself. And you, you begin to think of all you know, mean of horrors that could, that could happen to him. Um, you start to think about the fact that if he is out there, he's probably feeling very irrational, very tired, and not really being able to think straight. You begin to think about what happens when he combines energy drinks with the medication that he's on at the moment, uh, which I sat with him with a doctor once, and the doctor explained to both of us and to him that that was basically the worst combination, the particular medication that he was in these energy drinks. He didn't normally buy them, but he would only buy them when he was distressed. A bit like some people would turn to alcohol or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He would turn to energy drinks. And, you, you know, you start to be concerned about his future records as well because everything he does gets put down on paper for social services. And that, those are the circumstances, basically. And if you sit in a kitchen long enough, think about everything that's going on, um, that's, a, that's a pretty desperate place. And also, you know, just that this, you know, this was, he was our area of expertise, you know, both for my friend and both for me. Uh, you know, she fostered him. I worked with him at school and in, and in other capacities as well. Um, so we knew about young people. We knew about um, kids in foster care specifically. Um, we knew about uh, kids specifically with, like, emotional trauma. If there's something we could do, it should be this. Just like if there's something the fishermen they sh should be able to do is, like, sail a boat. Uh, and yet we couldn't. We, we got completely to the end of our, of our expertise. And it's at that time that you sit down and you pray. And what you do is, what we did is that we started to look to Jesus and not to our circumstances. And when you start to look to Jesus, you kind of start to believe that actually, well, you, first of all, you focus on who he is. And you think, ah, wait a minute. Jesus is above and beyond all of these things. And then you start to believe that Jesus can do the impossible. And I'm going to give you a few examples of the impossible. So, you begin to believe that Jesus can do the impossible. The impossible, like the time, a police officer um, found him, and rather than treating him like a hooligan, realized somehow, somehow, we don't know how, but was just kind of inspired, picked up straight away on the fact that this isn't a normal lad. This is someone who is... Um, clearly in need and in distress rather than a criminal um, and was able to treat him like appropriately and yeah and he was able to sort of like comfort him and get some sense out of him 
and before bringing him home, stopped by a fish and chip shop and bought him sausage and chips. Okay, it's not quite at the same level as walking on water. But, but for me, you know, that, for us, that was the impossible. When you think about the worst case scenario and then you find out that someone has understood everything about him and, and fed him and brought him home and comforted him, you think, wow. So you start to believe that Jesus can do the impossible. Um, the impossible, like the time that he went missing for hours. And, um, I, yeah, I got a text. This is when I was actually in Bristol. And, um, yeah, to say, please, could we pray? And um, a few of us prayed. Actually, it's one of the times that a few of us were meeting. I don't know if Martino or Brian were there, but a few people together. And um, I think we didn't really find out what had happened until the next morning. But then we find out that, actually, as we'd been praying... Um, he'd taken himself to this kind of big, like, Christian charity center place, and it, they had, like, a drop-in, like, for the homeless people. And I was just amazed the next morning when I asked the prayer was that basically God had taken him to church, like, in his hour of deepest need when, like I say, anything could have happened to him that, you know, that he had ended up, um, yeah, being cared for by Christians. And I think they were even able to pray for him and make sure that he, that he got home safely. So, yeah, you really begin to believe that Jesus can do the impossible. Um, like uh, a different situation, uh, where basically, long story short, they were able to find funding for him to go to one of the best therapeutic residential schools in the whole of the UK. And it's probably like the most expensive <laughs> um, type of place to go, which, which caters specifically exactly for his needs. And there are actually only, I think, three places like this in, in the whole of England. So, did God take away the storm in my little testimony? No. Did it hurt? Yes. We were absolutely exhausted even after he came home or after you get the text to say, you know, everything's fine. You're like emotionally drained after going through all that kind of situation. Is everything sorted now today as I'm talking to you? No. There are ongoing issues. But as we sank like into fear... Together, we were able to call out to Jesus. And we found that actually that Jesus reached out his hand. And, you know, although this happened again and again and again, and it was wearing us out, and it was tiring, it was through each one of those situations that my faith grew and grew and grew. And it's actually in that place where you're saying to God, like, what on earth is happening? And you're kind of really wrestling with God. Um, and, and you kind of, you're being honest with God, you know, about everything that's going on. And you're trying to see God for who he really is. Um, it's in that, in that difficult place that, that faith grows. And I can happily say that um, although they weren't enjoyable times, that my faith grew a lot more in every single one of those scenarios um, than it ever did sitting in the library at Trinity College reading theology books. Um, so let's nip, nip back to our actual text. And I'll wrap up soon. Uh, so verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The moment the penny dropped. And that's the first time they use that expression, um, at least in, the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew. You are the Son of God. They haven't quite... They've seen him do the feeding of the 5,000, but that wasn't their reaction. It was now. It wasn't in the, in the amazingness of the feeding. It was actually in the you know, the terror of the storm that they recognize, like, who Jesus is. Um, a commentator called Wilkins um, says, a proper appreciation for Jesus' power should produce worship, not simply astonishment. 
So in the last storm, in chapter 8, um, it says, you know, this is what happened, and the result is they were all amazed. Whereas in this chapter, in this storm story, they're progressing in their faith. Because not only are they amazed, but actually it leads them to worship Jesus. And so with my little testimony and my three kind of stories of impossibility, I don't want you to go, oh, isn't that nice that that, that boy was looked after? Or, or, oh, that's interesting that he ended up being looked after by Christians. How funny. We, we say that sometimes, don't we? We try and share something with each other. And the other person goes, well, that's a coincidence. You think, that wasn't quite the point why I was saying it. Well, they go, well, that's funny. You think, well, that wasn't quite the point either. And um, so actually the reason why I tell you my little testimony is that, you know, I want that to lead you to worship Jesus. And through this storm of the storm, through the story of the storm, we want that also, you know, our, our response should be that it makes us, you know, worship Jesus. And I just want to encourage us when we're, you know, sharing stories over coffee, over the phone or on Tuesday nights or whatever it is. Um, yeah, maybe to actually, even if you just say, praise God, um, or, or actually stop and pray or just do something when you hear something, when you're trying to share a story or someone's told you something about like, God's work in their life uh, you know actually pause for a second and, and and give God the glory so let me wrap up a few thoughts of what I've kind of run through today um, it was Peter's faith in knowing who Jesus is that allowed him to overcome his fear the wind and the waves tell us it's impossible. Um, and sometimes life fills us with doubt and fear. But what the Lord commands us to do, we know can be accomplished. And so as we look to Jesus, who is ever constant, unlike the wind and the waves, um, we try to put our faith in him. And we put our faith in him because we have come to know who he is. We know that he is the son of God and that he is all powerful and almighty. He's powerful over all circumstances and he is ready to reach out and save us should we need it. He's closer than we think. So we take courage also um, that we come from a long line of disciples um, who failed and doubted and grew in their faith along the way. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father God, for... Um, this passage of the Bible that we've been able to look at today. Please keep on speaking to us and challenging us about it. Almighty God, who is powerful over the storm, over every circumstances, we recognize that like Peter, we have failed and we have doubted. And the wind and the waves have gotten the better of us. In the silence, we want to bring those moments to mind and lay them before you. Father, forgive us. We thank you that just like you reached out your hand to Peter, you reach out to us now through your Holy Spirit. You did not leave us abandoned like orphans, but rather you sent your Spirit to be with us. And if we lift our eyes up away from our troubles and look for you, we realize that you are even closer than we thought. Lord, help us to lift our eyes. We pray that our faith grows through finding you at the end of our tether. Lord, we have faith, but we don't want to just be baby Christians forever. And equally, we don't want to be just become hardened.
by the tough times of life, but rather we pray that, like the first disciples, that our faith would keep growing. So we stand here today as a ragtag community of disciples with all of our ups and downs going on in life. And we look to Jesus and worship him because we recognize that he is the son of God. Amen. So let's go into this week ahead um, knowing who Jesus is and knowing that God is closer to us than we think. Amen.